0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast. And now, here's your host, Casey Cover. Let's get started.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Training with Casey. This is your host, Casey Cover. And thank you, Joseph, for the introduction. I hope everything's going well with you joseph has a new animal job we wish you every good wish with that joseph you've really been very dedicated and everything outstanding so keep on keeping on now to keep going signal an intermediate bridge okay just want to be clear on that so um folks we're going to do another episode of bringing the horses home. This is number six. Amazingly, amazingly, I still haven't learned everything I need to know about taking care of my own horses, one of whom I've worked with for 30 years already. Well, 29, but still. So uh, today I wanted to talk about rotational grazing and what we are up to. I'm taking a pasture management course online from Joel Salatin of Polyface Farm. He's a regenerative agriculture person. So that's a person that whose goal is to heal the land, improve the land as you use the land. And we have been doing this inexpertly, but in our garden for the last 10 years. And boy, does it work. When we first got into gardening, I read over and over again, it would take you about 10 years to really become any good at gardening. I think a lot of that is because it may take 10 years to get the soil together, to get the logistics worked out like how you're going to water when you're going to want water all that kind of thing and this year in our garden we had an easy year in that we didn't have any strange weather events where it got too hot when the animals or when the plants were already you know growing and blossoming or too cold when they had already started and we had done a lot of the work over the winter. We doubled the size of the garden. And the initial dirt we put in was organic soil. So another time, another place, we might create all our own soil, especially now that we have horses, but really it's a two or three year lead time to compost horse manure. Although I'm happy to report, that we will have plenty of horse manure to compost to make beautiful garden soil in three or four years. Anyway, so um, regenerative agriculture includes things like uh, lasagna or layer composting, where you put things right on the ground or you allow things to just grow naturally, like allow them to come up with seed. It includes permaculture. Well, anyway, let's get back to pastures. Uh, It turns out that in our area, I have read several places that it takes three acres of grazing land to keep two horses over a year three acres we have less than that or yeah something probably less than that but we have two horses and according to joel salatin we can make our pastures four times more productive well if we only had one acre to dedicate to horses, but we could make that acre as productive as four acres, we're good. We would be able to keep all of our horses happy, our two horses happy for the entire grazing season. Well, let's talk about our experiences with grazing horses so far. One, they eat a lot more than you think they do. A lot more. As in, how can you eat that much grass for gosh sakes? Two, there's all kinds of terror and risk with pastures, because there's all kinds of plants that are toxic And my horses are experienced eating around here and they do avoid many of the toxic plants, but they don't avoid all of them. So for example, I told you about cat's ears and cat's ears will cause liver failure, but the horses eat them anyway. Hmm. Well, then we have wisteria hysteria. It turns out that wisteria is like French fries. At least for Sarah, French fries are considered by some health, you know, people that coach healthy eating, as the most unhealthy food that we regularly eat. They're unhealthy because they're fried. They're unhealthy because they're really starchy. So they're fatty and starchy. You couldn't get any better than that, right? And they want to ruin our food. They have, they usually fried in plant oils, which makes them very inflammatory and um, possibly rancidifies the fat. Plant oils, when you heat them up, turn into trans fats. It's all great, right? So then you put ketchup on it. Ketchup has sugar in it. Ketchup is cooked over a long amount of time. That makes glycated end products, I think they call it. We can't win. So the end of it is we shouldn't eat French fries. But come on, French fries are fantastic, right? We, We enjoy eating them if they're made well. And that's how wisteria is for Sarah. I was leading her past wisteria. And she did a quick getaway just to grab some wisteria as she went past it. So wisteria is the French fries of the pasture group. It seems to me. And whatever wisteria does to you, it's so toxic. I'll have to look it up. But it's so toxic that even goats can't eat it. So why would Sarah want to eat it? But I have to get out there. We're still constantly going out and pulling up with stereo vines. Had I understood how difficult this one plant would make bringing horses here, I don't know if I would have attempted it. I might have seriously considered moving to a new place rather than try to bring the horses here. That's how serious it is. Okay, so in your grazing issues, they eat a lot more than you think. They also, there's the um, toxic plants issues. But here's another one. They will quickly ruin pasture. So, When you're doing rotational grazing, at least with the horses as we know them, you can't just turn them onto a pasture and let them live there for a day or two days or three days, in my opinion. I think what we're going to have to do is turn them onto the pasture in the morning and take them off again. So there's a number of ways we could do it. We could let them onto pasture before they get their regular food, bring them in, feed them, turn them out again, or maybe not, and then repeat before their dinner. So it's good for horses to have forage in their stomach before and after eating. It kind of keeps things moving and content and all that kind of stuff. But why not just leave the horses in there overnight? Well, for one thing, we're going to have to make so many little fences one way or another. Uh, It's much easier to have a glitch in your fence. And you're likely, you're more likely to have a horse get out or something like that. But also, it turns out that the horse's Don't just stand around all day. They paw, they pot up roots on the big pine trees. They paw to get sandy places so they can roll in them. They stomp a lot because of flies bothering them. And we have this new fly spray that seems to be working pretty well. It's called Insect, insects by, no, or by insects, one of the two. Anyway, it's uh, worked very well. And I talked about it in the last podcast. So there's a little relief there for the horses, but nonetheless, it's not a 100% release. And the horses have habits. And so they will sit there and stomp, 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 whereby they kill patches of grass. And they tend to do it in certain spots. And in one spot, they kind of like excavated an area, Uh, not like holes, but they've stomped and pawed enough that that area is lower than the surrounding area. So now I have to go in and add more dirt. So one of the first things we did is we fenced up various little places temporarily, and we let the horses in there to graze. And they ate them all down to nothing in no time. And they even had to uh, have recovery time because the horses actually damaged the grass they didn't just eat it down there were big holes where they were stomping and things like that so then we were relieved when we got the wisteria roots taken out because then we could pay uh cordon off you know fence off a large paddock for them well what's a paddock a paddock is a fenced yard attached to the run-in shed or the stall. You know, it's like the barnyard. And you would generally go from the stall to the paddock to the grazing. So we had a good-sized piece available to make into a paddock. Guess what? They grazed it all down. Within two or three days. And all of a sudden, damage. It was all damaged. I I finally realized. The paddock, they don't run in it. They don't walk in it very much. What they do for a hobby here is stand around and sleep after they've eaten a lot. Now That's not all we do. We have the round pen and that's going to come up in just a minute, but we go out there and walk around after each meal to uh, try to, you know, get the insulin resistance corrected and all this stuff. By the way, I have a way to test the horse's blood sugar right now. And I don't know if I can do it on a long-term, ongoing basis. But I want to see what the effect of that exercise is on their blood sugar. But anyway, we'll more about that later. So uh, we have this big paddock. They're not using it for exercise. So what it is is where they stand around and where they like to roll. And They just ruin it so quickly that it would be better for them if we made their paddock smaller and they could just ruin that, you know, dirt. It would just all become dirt. And then we could return the rest of it to grass and take them out for temporary grazing. So then we have a larger piece of land in the back. So imagine that you have a big rectangle and in the bottom right corner, you add a nice size lean to ours is something like 16 by 20 feet, and then it's for only two horses too, so that's pretty big. And then we add another, I think it's 50 feet across to make the paddock. And then how long do you want to go? Well, we went up about a hundred feet long and we're rethinking that now. So we're probably going to go to something more like 25 to 50 feet long at the most. And we're gonna just consider that sacrifice land. So it's there for them to have their dirt baths in and to you know stand around, be able to go in and out. I'm seeing that it's really a big deal to the horses that their lean to has a lot of open space and it's light, and they can look out on all sides and they can eat from their hay bags from outside the lean-to as well as inside the lean-to. And that prevents stress between the horses to a large extent. Now, so this is in our lower right-hand quarter corner, and we're going to, let's say, have a uh, 30 by 50 foot paddock in this corner. And then going up from this corner, To about not quite the middle of this big rectangle of pasture, pasture to be, shall we say, we have the round pen, which is 60 feet in diameter. And it's filled with sand and we just go out there and walk around and around. And we're using our walking around and around to try to keep the weeds out of the sand. I'll let you know how that goes. We were about to fence it all in. So that what we could let the horses loose. Probably don't need a fence for that because we go out and walk with them. So we could just take them on a lead rope. It's not like we want to set them loose in there. So we're rethinking the fencing even though we just put in all the posts again. But here's what I'm thinking of instead. Joel Salatin explained a really interesting process of using two fences, one for the outside of the property, the perimeter, and one for the grazing. That way, if your animal gets out of the grazing area, they're still held into your property. But then he further divides that piece of land with temporary electric fencing. Well, I looked at it and with my recent experience of how long it takes the horses to eat a particular piece of land and the knowledge that really I probably want to divide the land into enough grazing for at the most two days. So I don't want to put them in a piece that's big enough to support them for five days I want to put them in a piece that's big enough to support them for one or two days and then to move them on. That way, the idea is they'll eat the whole thing pretty uniformly, but they won't put so much pressure on the ground from stomping or rolling or running or any of those things to damage the grass. Meanwhile, if they don't eat it uniformly, we still have to go in and mow because you must mow to allow the grass to outcompete the broadleaf weeds. So that means that every piece of grazing land that you cut out from your bigger piece you need to be able to navigate a mower around it through any gates and so on. You also need to pay attention to uh, safety for the animals. So for example, let's say we were going to use the round pen as like the hub of a clock. And then we were gonna divide the rest of the um, rectangle into long thin slices. Well, that's very efficient and logical. But if the horses start to give each other a hard time, you don't want anyone getting caught, like trapped down in a skinny end or a sharp end. They need to have plenty of room to pass each other without uh, being agonistic toward each other. Um, Horses are like everybody else, it turns out. They can really care about another being and still fight with them so if we separate our two horses if they're out of view of one another either one of them will cry 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 for the other one but if uh yeah there's a question of getting food or something like that they will be agonistic toward each other they'll antagonize each other so when we make the pieces, they need to be small enough for one or two days, big enough that the horses can easily pass each other and turn around within the fencing and not get stuck. And it has to, make, it has to be such that we can do, we can mow it if necessary. Now, here's another thing with electric fences, you have to constantly worry about grass growing up because the grass will short out the fences and particularly if it's wet. So those are all considerations. Nonetheless, I think I have 14 to maybe even more little parcels. And my experience so far indicates that if I move them every day or so within 14 days that pasture will recuperate and I could start the rotation again now that's just in the rectangle there are other places on the property where I can let them come in and graze and for Sarah for example a a fair cannot see and so what's safe for Sarah is not necessarily safe for a fair. But Sarah is, uh, she plans ahead and she's fairly unflappable. So I've been letting her into my backyard, which is full of knotweed, which is actually very good for the horses and Hawaiian white ginger, which is also good for them. And, you know, other grasses they're even eating the violets, which are high in vitamin C. They're really good for us. I'm not sure if they're good for horses, but they didn't used to eat those. So anyway, it's good because it's not just grass. It's a salad. So you get lots of different kinds of plants and different kinds of benefits. And... um by only letting Sarah in for a little bit of time at a time, this piece of land that if I put her in all day for grazing, she would have eradicated it within about three days, maybe four. I can let her in for an hour before her meal, twice a day and it's still maintaining. Now it's losing ground. It won't last forever, but I'm about to open the garden pathway system to Sarah. And that's fraught with its own risks and excitement. We'll talk about that another time. All right. So the two options are to make the divisions totally temporary with solar electric fence you know, temporary fences, or to make permanent divisions of this property, you know, of this tr- uh, rectangle into 14 different things that we could move through sequentially and then start over again. Jury still out, still researching that. I'll keep you posted. Okay, so that is the rotational grazing versus ruined pasture. In other words, if you don't do rotational grazing, you don't have an option where you just let them stay in that pasture all the time and it's all hunky-dory because there's plenty of land to grow. You really have to have a lot more land to let them just stay in the same place because they poop all over it. And they grind it into the dirt and then it's contaminated for flies. You know, flies grow in it and so on. And they don't like the grass that grows up there. It's higher in phosphorus. It'll be like brighter green. And I wondered why at the stables there'd be areas of taller grass that the horses weren't touching. And that might be why. So they also will wear pathways in it where there'll be no grass at all because they are routinely walking up that path to get to the round pen or uh, actually the um, run in or the food or the water. So it's good that they walk. It's good to have them walking enough to make paths But it'd be better if they made that kind of paths in the bare dirt and, you know, just do their grazing in their grazing areas. And by the way, um, we're very cautious about water. We make sure the animals have plenty. But I found that people can get very emotional about water because in the wild. Whether you're talking about animals in Africa or the desert here or horses, wherever they are, wild horses in the desert on the beach. Think about it. Where do horses drink water if they live on the beach? They might as well be in a desert. So they have to plan their water drinking. They don't have water available all the time. I had read that horses need five gallons of water a day. It's been very hot here lately. But I will say, regardless of the heat, our horses have maybe barely gone beyond five gallons a day once or twice. And usually they don't actually make, they don't actually drink a full five gallons a day we're always ready for them too but it's just not what's happening so in the wild animals will go to the watering station once a day or even once every other day i mean maybe they could go twice a day there's no law right but they just don't and then people get all upset and emotional if somebody doesn't have what you know, the complainer thinks is what you should have for an animal to drink from. And what would that be? So far, I'm liking our little five-gallon buckets because it's much easier to keep track of how much the animal's drinking. We can clean them frequently and we don't have to waste a lot of water. They're not hard to turn over and scrub out and it just works very well where I probably won't like it is in the winter time when the freeze all the way through I'm already working on that one but right now the buckets work very well would I put a water option out in the little grazing area And I may not because I can go out there twice a day and let them in with the water, let them get a drink and then take them back out or give them the choice. Do you want to go back out or do you want to stay here? And, you know, just rest because the horses spend a good part of the day just standing and sleeping. So. I find with animals in general, the more choice they have, the happier they are, the more content they are. So I don't mind giving them a choice where they want to be. Do you want to be with the water? Do you want to be with the grazing? You know, how many times do you want to go back to get the water? But if I take a bucket out there and think that I've watered the horses, well, they may just knock it over. And when I say knock it over, I don't even even mean on the ground. They have been known to pick the bucket up by the rim, even if they just don't want the other horse to drink and dump a bucket. Like, so there, by the way, horses aren't the only one. I, I saw the same thing happen with monkeys that I took care of. So anyway, water is probably going to stay in one area and I'll probably take horses back and forth and do that frequently, but we'll see and we'll study it. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to mention about the pasture plants. And um, that's about weeds and herbs. We know That for our horses, particularly for a fair, goldenrod has been really, really helpful. It has really helped her cope with stress. Now that she's at home with us, she appears to have much less stress. But we're still giving goldenrod. Luckily, we had it growing on our land and we also found a good source of it on a uh, place that was you know, organically kept. So we collected a bunch of it and we dried it. You have to dry it very carefully because if goldenrod gets damp or doesn't get dried completely, it gets a mold which is toxic. And then it's not only doesn't help the animals, but it's literally dangerous for them. So we've got goldenrod, we're planning to dry it again uh, for the winter, but we are cultivating it and some other plants on various parts of our property. Now, the idea in our dream of dreams would be to grow it all around the perimeter so that the animals, you know, we could walk them around. They could pick their salad. They could have a special salad every day. We could go out for five minutes and they could, you know, just like at the buffet, right? So what would we have there? Definitely a lot of golden rot. Looking into mugwort, not sure about that. And oh, by the way, I have to make sure I can tell the difference between mugwort and ragweed. I think I have that wired, but we just need to make sure. Okay, plantain is really healthy for the horses. And boy, do they select it. Dandelion. They love dandelions and the dandelions are great for them. Violets are very high in vitamin C. They don't readily take those. So we'll see. Knotweed is very good for them. And that is a very invasive plant. It is native, but it's very invasive And I'm afraid that if we bring knotweed into that part of the land, that we may lose some of the other things. So we've got a double-edged thing going here. We want to be able to offer the horses options with fresh growing uh, herbs, but we also want to be able to keep them safe enough, the herbs that is, that we could harvest them and dry them for use during the winter. Because, for example, goldenrod is important to a fair, so we don't want to run out of that. So that's still under construction. I would love to hear your experiences. One of our listeners, here's a shout out to Chris, who's also a gardener. And she's interested in seeing how we integrate the horses with our current gardening and the whole regenerative agriculture idea and so on. So Chris, please stay tuned because I'm going to be doing some videos to go with this. Things have still been so busy just with the initial adjustments to having the horses at home that we're not doing that yet but more to come. So everybody's, you know, share with us, even if you have little videos of what you're doing, let's take a look, leave a comment. So thank you very much for um, sharing some time with me. And again, you know, help me out. Tell me what you're doing, what you know works. If you are, interested in stewardship of our beautiful mother earth. And you are thinking of going down the path of organic, regenerative stewardship, where we grow what we need. We raise the animals we want and need to raise without poisoning, polluting, and consuming our property, But rather by, you know, skillfully using our resources so that we are good to go and have more plenty to spare, right? We have what we need, but also more to spare. And hey, by the way, it's not just for us. It needs to be for the other beings that live here. And uh, I'll give you one example of that. I have a stock tank that I use to do my water exercises in to meditate in, to watch the butterflies from. I love it. And this year I was not able to get it ready for the summer season because I've been so busy with the horses. So finally Dave helped me and we went out and cleaned it from top to bottom and then, you know, made sure all the hoses were hooked up and all this kind of stuff. And I was just ready to start uh, testing the filtration system and all that. And what do I see? Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of frog eggs. Don't get me wrong. I love frogs. And that's why I didn't fill my pool up. I'm gonna let all these tadpoles go through their life because this year it's been dry enough that whereas in most years, I have 20 to 30 frogs just hanging out on my back kitchen window using the light as bait to draw in insects for them to eat. And this year so far, I only occasionally see one or two frogs. So we just had some serious rain. That's why there's water in the pool because it fills from the rainwater from the roof. And those frogs didn't waste any time. They got right to the business of starting baby frogs. So I'm going to be their ally in that. And by the way, I've seen a lot of additional kinds of frogs. Usually we have the green tree frog here, bullfrogs and uh, two different kinds of toad. But recently I have seen the gray tree frog. I think one called a leopard frog, a grass frog. That may be it, but that's a lot more variety, even though we're not seeing very many frogs. And each of these frogs have amazing calls. You should check it out sometime. You can search them on the internet and hear their calls. Okay, so in addition to frogs, we have all the birds, the butterflies. For example, we grow lots and lots of parsley in order to cultivate uh, eastern black swallowtail and we've got a a heartbreak because we have lots of tomatoes and they get eaten by the tomato hornworm and so I just kill them I kill them organically but I hate killing them but the only thing I could say is the tomato hornworm is native here but the tomato is not so I'm drawing the line. But anyway, we try to um, give thought to all the other land, uh, animals that live here, like the snakes and so on. They can live in the hoogle beds and in the windrow and the rats and the mice can live there. And it's good for the owls because the owls know where the rats and the mice live. So since they collect in these windrow areas, it's happy hunting for the owls. And so it goes. We plant trees and other plants and make features of water and shelter with all the different animals in mind. So I hope you'll join us in this and I'd love to talk to you more about it. Until next time, take care and thank you. Good night.
0: Hey fans, are you enjoying Training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash C casey cover also give the podcast a like share and comment thanks for joining us come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals stay at the top of the pack with casey this is joseph laughlin producer of training with casey see you next time